Welcome, everyone, to the latest uh, episode of The Intersection, a series on the IQT podcast where we discuss topics relating to the intersection of technology and national security. Arun is a venture capitalist, adjunct entrepreneurship professor, and senior advisor to the provost at Georgetown University, and author of Venture Meets Mission, which is being released the same day as this episode today. So congratulations, Arun. Uh, I know it's a big day when your first book's published. Uh, can you share with your with our audience uh, a little bit of your background and how you uh, ended up where you are today? Yeah, thanks, Steve. Um, look, at, you know, I, I grew up in the D.C. area. Uh, my dad's been working at, at Naval Sea System Command uh, now for over 40 years. Um, he's still working there today. So government service and um, has been in our family since I was a child. Uh, you know, after coming back to the area after business school, uh, I, I got involved in venture capital. I started at Carlisle, but then spent the bulk of my career at Columbia Capital, uh, founded by Mark Warner. Uh, and, and that's where I really started to kind of witness the power of entrepreneurship and really the optimism um, in the entrepreneurial ecosystem. Uh, and in the latter half of my career, I started focusing a bit more on the intersection of mission tech and entrepreneurship. So, uh, you know, the early days of cybersecurity um, and national security investing. And, um, you know, when you started uh, to look at uh, the ecosystem that you're in at that period of time, you saw the challenges in collaborating with government, but you also saw um, the magic when it worked. And more importantly, the, the people around that ecosystem were very mission driven. Um, and, you know, it was a, it was a stark contrast um, to, you know, always being worried about options and valuations and things of that sort, but thinking about what the, the broader impact is of the companies that we were building. Uh, at a, after a good run there at Columbia, um, uh, took a step back um, to kind of, you know, spend time at home, focus on more philanthropic activity, um, and started teaching at Georgetown and uh, Stanford. And uh, in that process, started teaching a class at Stanford uh, called Valley Meets Mission. And uh, the class was really intended was a Stanford and Washington program um, to, to talk about um, you know, the Stanford students, how to take the entrepreneurial zest that we see in the Valley, but how to attach that to kind of the mission orientation that we see in DC. Um, and the idea being that like, you know, not to use their entrepreneurial talents and uh, platform for Candy Crush 3.0, um, but to use it to go solve big problems. And, and to solve those problems, they could do it in a for-profit way. And that to solve the biggest of those problems, um, climate, healthcare, um, national security, uh, you know, government will need to, you know, be part of that. And, um, you know, what I saw in teaching that class and bringing in um, luminaries from InQtel and the intelligence community and defense community um, was that students really hadn't, you know, didn't have this lens of being exposed to folks both on the government side and the entrepreneurial side to solve these problems. And that when they were exposed to it, um, it, they really got excited. We started to see a number of students send their banking consulting offers, um, which was my badge of honor, um, and to go into the space. Uh, and during that time, then, in, in, in seeing some of these observations, it led to kind of working on the book project, um, which is launching today. Um, but while we were doing that, I was on the board of a not-for-profit LMI, um, which had a for-profit entity underneath it. Um, and we went through a process where we sold the for-profit and um, the proceeds of that uh, created an endowment of nearly half a billion dollars, um, which we decided then to use um, to put a lot of what we were working on and talking about in the book uh, to play. 
Um, so that that's kind of the circuitous route to where we got here. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think at the core of it was the uh, belonging in the entrepreneurial ecosystem um, and then seeing the academic ecosystem. And I think both those ecosystems today are, are superpowers of, of our democracy. Um, but seeing that both were not really as connected, um, the infrastructure hadn't been modernized to connect them around our government, uh, you know, ambitions. And so that's what we're looking to do at Noble Reach. Great. Well, there's a lot to unpack there. Uh, and I want to get to Noble Reach. I want to get to uh, 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 the book here in a second. But I want to start first with um, uh, the class that you teach uh, uh, at Georgetown. And, and I know you mentioned you also teach one at Stanford here. But why do you think the entrepreneurial students, the students who sort of inclined to think about starting a company either right after uh, graduation or you know shortly thereafter, why hadn't they really thought about applying that uh, uh, entrepreneurship, entrepreneur drive to uh, DOD or national security or, or defense? What was yeah, it about uh, 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 that uh, customer group that that, that sort of uh, 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 scared them off and? And what are the things that you think um, uh, need to change in order to continue to foster uh, uh, what you started at, at, at Georgetown, what others have done at Stanford and some other schools? Yeah, you know, I, I, I don't think they were scared off by it. I think they just weren't aware of it, honestly, Steve. Okay. Um, you know, I think, and, and part of that is when you're coming up the engineering, you know, uh, route at CS departments, there's probably very few of your faculty that have spent time at DOD um, or in government. And so that can advise these students around ways to solve these problems um, in, in that context. And where they have, usually more on the public policy side, um, international policy side, um, that that silo um, hasn't really done much entrepreneurially. Yeah. Um, they're very familiar with government and policy, um, but they haven't been around the entrepreneurial ecosystem. So I think it speaks more to the siloed nature of some of the academic institutions mm -hmm. um, than it does to the students um, uh, not wanting to do it. And so to answer your, the, the back end of that question, uh, you know, I think the more we have these interdisciplinary classes that bring it together, um, I think it helps connect the dots for the students. Because what I saw is the engineering students were learning like, wow, I never thought there was a place for me to go put my talents to work related to government. And the policy students didn't really realize that there was a place for them in entrepreneurship. Great, great. So um, you start teaching these kids, you start advising them on, on the on their startups. That's obviously drawing from your background at Columbia, uh, 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 from making investments in, in, in a number of different uh, yeah. uh, startup companies. How did you get connected to uh, uh, LMI and uh, 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 what was its mission when you first got there? And then how has it morphed into Noble Reach? Yeah, so um, I got connected to LMI uh, twofold. One of the board members, Todd Stottlemyre, um, uh, had become a good friend and was an advisor on a couple of our boards at Columbia. Um, and then the CEO, Doug Wagner, who became the CEO of LMI um, and was previously CEO at SAIC, was a good friend. And we'd gotten to know each other. And then they'd asked me to, uh, to think about joining the board. Um, and when I joined the board, um, you know, I was really excited about, you know, the the mission, which was really around, um, you know, national security. Um, what, you know, what they had, though, was a not-for-profit structure with primarily a for-profit underneath it. Um, and so the, the mission was really to try to reduce the burden of government, um, re reduce the burden for government, but much more in, a, in an advisory capacity mm -hmm. um, in the work that they were doing. 
um, when we sold the advisory business um, out um, to uh, you know a group of investors and family office folks, um, those proceeds went into Noble Reach. And what it did is it allowed the the not for profit to actually flourish um, and develop an identity and a, and a purpose. Um, Previous to that, the not-for-profit was really focused around doing research work um, that supported the advisory work at LMI. And today, we're focused more on building the infrastructure that I was talking about around talent and innovation. Great. Um, and so, No Reach now exists, and uh, it has some money, and it's uh, 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 pursuing this uh, uh, mission here. Um, can you give a couple examples of, of, of what you guys are doing with it? Absolutely. So, um, you know, we say we have two two sides, the talent side and the uh, innovation side. Um, on the talent side, uh, what we're really, really looking to try to do is um, inspire this next generation to think about service, um, especially uh, our, our top tech students and business students, um, the ones that are least inclined to go into government service right now. And uh, think of a Teach for America kind of program, um, which we're calling a Noble Root Scholars Program. Uh, we just brought on board the uh, the executive director of the White House PIF program, the Presidential Innovation Fellows Program, to to, um, to scale that program for us. Um, so we're looking to launch that here uh, this coming summer. Um, we'll start recruiting in January. Uh, and what we're looking to do is bring in students with AI, cyber, materials, bio, um, space expertise, um, place them in government for one or two year um, rotations, uh, and then work with them after that to, to pull them into, um, you know, other opportunities um, down the line. Uh, but make it, you know, more prestigious um, to think about starting your career in government. Um, the second piece of what we're doing is um, uh, on the innovation side where we're collaborating um, with a pro program called Emerge, um, which was, you know, initiated actually with InQtel. Um, and then we brought that team over from InQtel over to Noble Reach. And what they're doing is collaborating with DARPA and NSF um, to take uh, research of national interest, identifying researchers doing that research. And then we have a cadre of folks that are helping them bridge into the entrepreneurial ecosystem um, to identify both entrepreneurs and then capital by which to go commercialize this technology. Um, and to date, we've done about 70 of those ventures. And those ventures have gone on and raised over a billion two of capital. And we've had about $300 million of exits. Fantastic. So um, one of the reasons why I was excited to have you on board here uh, on the podcast, I should say, is um, we talk a lot about helping companies sell product into uh, uh, government. That's you know one version of the intersection of national uh, uh, security and technology. But you're very focused on the human talent aspect uh, of it as well. I don't think our listeners have heard as much about that. But really, I think what, what you're trying to drive is this infusion of talent that traditionally hasn't uh, uh, been interested in joining DOD or joining the U.S. government, and uh, 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 particularly with backgrounds of technical or, 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 or business, to help DOD, I think, complete the transition that we've talked about on, on this podcast before of moving from sort of being reliant on a small number of captive uh, 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 large contractors who uh, uh, build custom-built uh, solution, but really helping uh, uh, DOD and, and the Intel community leverage the best emerging technology that uh, uh, exists here in the United States. So tell, tell me, how does changing the talent pool in these organizations help uh, uh, with that mission? 
Yeah, no, it's a it's 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 a great question, uh, Steve. And um, you know, and you know, one of the stats we come across in the book, and it, you know, from the from Max Dyer and uh, Partnership of Public Service, is that less than seven percent of our tech workforce in government today is under the age of thirty. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have nearly four times as many over the age of sixty. Um, and in a in a world where we're increasingly competing, as you've talked about in your podcast around emerging technology, um, you know, we're, we're somewhat upside down. I mean, the average age of Google is probably mid-30s. Um, and so we need to bring in um, talent um, that is more conversant um, with, with these emerging technologies. Uh, and, you know, so just making connections to government with folks, building products and talent just isn't sufficient enough. Um, because we don't, if we don't have the talent pool inside to receive that technology and understand how to use it and how to implement it, um, we're no better off. Uh, and so, you know, we're trying to help facilitate. And there's a number of um, programs that are doing things around talent and tech. But what we're trying to do is scale it to something that can be um, really sizable. Um, and we think that's what's lacking right now. It's a scalable program. And part of our theory on the case um, and Jason Mattini, um, you know, was helpful in helping us think about this was, you know, having a not-for-profit sit outside of government that can help coordinate talent for government so that we can try to get some economies of scale across, across agencies, across, um, you know, across campuses, right? Um, right now we have, you know, all these college campuses with great tech talent, uh, but none of the agencies are showing up there to recruit. Um, and then when none of the professors in those technical programs have spent time in government, we shouldn't be surprised that the students aren't finding themselves to government. Um, I don't think it's that the our theory on the case is this isn't about students not wanting to to do this kind of work. It's about them not being able to find it in an easy way. Yeah. Um, and uh, the bet we're making is if we can help modernize and play a role in um, uh, uh, improving that infrastructure, that we'll see better results here. That's great. And there have been a couple initial programs, I think, that I've touched on this a little bit. You mentioned Presidential uh, Innovation uh, Fellow, or PIP. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure if I got the ac- what the acronym stands for correctly, but uh, 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 close enough. And then there's a Defense Digital uh, 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 Service, I think. Uh, um, but my sense is those were sort of small, boutique, sort of targeted programs. And what you're really talking about is a program at scale that's never really been done before. Is that fair? That's right. And I think what we need is a program that that um, transcends different agencies um, so that students, you know, you can create a, a marquee brand with that. Because um, I think the branding of the program is incredibly important. Um, it needs to be viewed, you know, again, much like Teach for America is viewed as something that is, um, you know, prestigious to be part of, to, to be selected for, and that you're you're part of a community that you can then you know, as you begin your journey of 25, 30 years of, of your career, these are your, you know, peeps that you have a shared experience with um, that helps rebuild the trust across these sectors. Um, and, you know, I think the community aspect of that is incredibly important. Um, and that's where scale comes in. Uh, and that's what we're, we're, we're hoping to help catalyze. So, so one of the challenges that I've encountered as I've talked to people in uh, some of these agencies or in, in DOD about you know, talent pool and how to change the, the talent mix uh, uh, that they have in their organization is there's a little bit stuck in their mindset of we hire an employee when they're 22 and they stay here until they're 55 and then they yeah. retire, right? And with full pension and benefits. And 
uh, 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 you know, and they go up, you know, uh, uh, GSA levels every couple of year, years and, and, and that sort of stuff. And I think what you're talking about or envisioning is a change in that paradigm where there's a lot more movement in and out, right? That people maybe start in government and then move to the private sector and they bring to the private sector some uh, uh, knowledge and awareness of government that maybe doesn't exist. Or you get people that maybe have been started their careers in, in, in the private sector, uh, gotten some of that uh, uh, perspective and then come and join uh, government for some number of years and then go back. But a lot more uh, moving back and forth. Uh, uh, first, am I understanding that correctly? And second, uh, uh, how do you sort of change the culture of these organizations to to accept that? Uh, yeah, um, no, uh, Steve, you do understand that correctly. And, um, you know, we, what we try to say, you know, um, you know, government sells careers, but the students are buying experiences. Yeah. Um, the government sells jobs, but the students are buying mission. And and we believe that if you can if you can sell mission oriented experiences, students will buy that all day long. Um, and so, you know, as far as culture goes, um, you know, we're starting to see pockets of this already happening. Um, you know, I'll, I'll call out CISA and Jen Easterly in the work that she's doing there. Um, you know, very forward thinking around, I want people to come here for two or three years and then go back into the private sector. Um, and, and the notion of them being forward deployed CISA folks. Um, and that when they end up at a big tech company or, you know, a uh, big financial institution or private sector, that's how we rebuild trust of how we collaborate. And so, you know, what we're seeing is that, um, you know, some of this is starting to happen. Um, and it, that's how we're prioritizing who we collaborate with. It really comes down to leadership, um, which agencies are really um, starting to have leaders that are thinking this way. And I think the heartwarming piece has been more agencies are starting to think this way. Now, that doesn't mean all of government is, um, but you have enough pockets that are. And then, you know, what our what we're, our hope is that you can start to show success. And then as you start to see that success, other agencies will want to follow suit. Um, but I don't think we have a choice um, is the other issue. Like, I don't think we, we can just keep doing what we're doing. Um, and I think that's where we'll also start to see a generational culture change take place inside of government for those people that have been there um, and are making these decisions. Yeah. So um, with all that background, what prompted you to write the book and tell me a little bit about the book? Yeah, um, you know, look, I, I, I never really was in, uh, an aspiring, considered myself to be an aspiring author. Um, really the inspiration around the book came from sharing the observations from my class um, with uh, my co-author, Jerry George, who was, you know, Dean of Georgetown and talking about this sense of like, you know, I could palpably feel students looking for mission. Mm -hmm. I could palpably feel like post-COVID, post-Ukraine, there's just a desire to want to do things. Um, but, you know, they're lacking exposure, right? And, and I think it was, it was a lot of those observations. It was the observation as well, Steve, um, that when you would bring in folks like a Mike Morell or a Chris Darby or Jason Matini, you know, sometimes they were met, you know, as hostile actors uh, until they were actually, they, the students had the opportunity to spend an hour and a half talking to them. And you realize that there was a, a humanization of government that needed to happen, right? Mm -hmm. um, and how do you do that at scale? Um, and likewise, um, on the entrepreneurial side, um, you know, there's a purity test of like, oh, if you're making money, you're not doing good work. 
And, you know, getting exposed to some of these entrepreneurs that were doing and leading, you know, very sizable companies, but re having students realize that, um, you know, they, they were following mission, actually. Uh, the money followed the mission, not the other way around. Yeah. And so, I, I, you know, I, I think in the effort to want to see how do you scale this from like just having your one class get exposed to this um, was the was the impetus about like, hey, maybe we try a book um, at some way to get these stories out there. Um, the great work that InQtel does, right? Like, how do you get that story out there? Like, why don't we have more of this? Um, and there was a, a feeling of like there's enough positive stories of people playing in this space. Um, so it's not about reinventing or coming up with a new way of doing it, but elevating those stories to a level of saying, like, how do we make this the norm, not the anomaly? And that was really the impetus of the book. And, and look, I'll be honest, it was a pretty vulnerable process. Um, it was, you know, with, you know, filled with a bit of imposter syndrome. Um, but, you know, you really value the friendships of, of and institutions of like yours that, you know, really wanted to engage in it, right? And it's just why we profile, you know, the great work you guys do, um, because I think it's important. And look, I've got um, two boys in college right now, uh, an eighth grade daughter. And, you know, look, I say to them, I say to my students, like, this is the place I would be spending the next couple of decades of my life, like doing entrepreneurial work around this purposeful um, area around mission. And it could be national yeah. security, it could be climate, it could be food security, but there's so much to do there. Yeah. Um, and that's the optimism I, I, I feel when I'm around those two areas, around entrepreneurs and I'm around students. And that's the optimism we were hoping to try to, you know, lead with in the book. Um, and it's, I think, what makes this country great. Um, and I, I firmly believe that. I think it's great. I think to your point, this younger generation is looking for a mission to attach themselves to. And there's a lot of talk in the venture capital community about, you know, mission investing as it relates to uh, uh, climate change or healthcare or uh, 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 advanced energy. Uh, um, and uh, what I've been, you know, uh, uh, evangelizing for a while now, and I think you have as well and some others, is that there's, a, there's another mission out there, which, right, which is uh, 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 the mission of uh, 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 national security. And I think it's great to attach yourself to that as well. And it's one that I think the uh, uh, younger generation, when they get exposed to get excited about it uh, 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 and get interested in it for a whole variety of reasons. But for other reasons, it's not something they naturally get exposed to at colleges. And so like efforts yeah. like have been great at uh, expanding their uh, uh, viewpoints. Yeah, I, I think that's right, Steve. I think also, look, we've had, you know, existential threats now, you know, between what's happened in Ukraine and, yeah. and what's happening in the Middle East. And um, I think even the larger tech organizations are realizing they're part of the geopolitical yeah. national security yeah. fight. Even the, some of the ones that originally tried to do you know, try to, um, you know, step away from it. Yeah. And so we're, we're all in this together. Um, and uh, I, I think there's a, um, I've, seen, I've seen a market difference in perception, right? Yeah. Um, from five years ago to today. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think now's the time. I think we are in this unique point in time where we can harness that energy and we have the opportunity to harness that energy in a meaningful way um, before we let it, get diffused and get onto the next thing. And that's why we're, I think building this infrastructure is incredibly important. Yeah. I think that's a great point. I think the uh, conflict in Ukraine, the uh, 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 conflict in uh, uh, Gaza, uh, I think has one, uh, inspired people about the importance of uh, 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 mission of national security, 
mission of helping uh, 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 democratic uh, 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 countries and societies uh, uh, resist uh, invasions or attacks from authoritarian uh, regimes, but also it's uh, inspired them to the role that emerging commercial technology can play in in, in those missions as well. It's not just the, the world of a big defense uh, uh, contractor. So I think it's, it's definitely uh, uh, creating a sense of momentum here that I think is really powerful and, you know, uh, 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 and I think that's been fantastic. We have, uh, I think, uh, hit our time limit. Uh, are there any last comments or points that you'd like to make here before we uh, close out here? Well, Steve, look, I want to first uh, thank you and, you know, Inkutil for your support, um, you know, over the years, both as a VC, you know, at Columbia, um, we collaborated with you all um, and, and, you know, think you're the platinum when it comes to mission and ventures, right? And a lot of what we write about adventure, adventure and mission, venture and mission is really, you know, uh, you guys being the OGs in the space. Um, I think though now we're at a time where, um, you know, we need to build a broader ecosystem and a more vibrant ecosystem um, because the, the challenges we have, we have to build these solutions that can scale to the size of the problem. Uh, and, you know, what excites me the most is that those two ecosystems to do that is one is the innovation ecosystem, which is the entrepreneurial ecosystem that you guys play in. And I think we're starting to see more capital and people um, and great entrepreneurs focused on these problems. You didn't see that five years ago, right? Um, and then the other is the, the human talent and the, you know, the, the young folks wanting to jump into these kinds of opportunities. Um, and, you know, I think we're at the early innings of this. I, you know, I really do think this is, you know, a multi-decade kind of run. Um, and we've had early successes. Those successes have led to more capital coming in, which leads to better entrepreneurs, which leads to a more robust ecosystem. And that's the, that's the cycle, right? And that's the story of the valley. And um, I think that's why I'm optimistic. I'm excited, and I think it's the superpower of this country, um, you know, to compete. Well, uh, I want to say thank you for uh, uh, joining us today and all the work that you've been doing here. I, I've loved the book. I got a chance to get a pre-release copy, uh, 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 so I'm fired up about that. I think our, our readers will, uh, our listeners will enjoy reading it. Uh, I want to thank the audience today for tuning into the episode of uh, The Intersection. Please make sure to sub subscribe to the IQT podcast so you don't miss out on future content. Or leave a, and leave us a review or comment to let us know what you think or what content you'd be interested to see us cover on a future podcast. I'd also encourage you to check out IQT's website at www.iqt.org to explore more content about cutting-edge technology to support and deliver insights and capabilities essential for national security mission. Uh, Arun, I think the book's released today. Where can they, uh, our listeners go buy it? Amazon and where else? They can go to Amazon or go to uh, com. And um, uh, we appreciate everyone's support, amplify the narrative. Um, all proceeds go back to the foundation at Noble Reach. Um, so this is really about just getting the message out there. Right. Well, Arun, thank you for joining us today at The Intersection. Thank you, Steve. Mm -hmm.